Discover new mind and body hacks to thrive as a human today. The Institute for Aliveness is here to teach you all the things you never learned in school. From talking poop, sex, childhood trauma, emotional intelligence, psychedelics, and of course, fasting and food. This is a podcast that changes lives. Join your host, Dr. Andrea Page, as she travels seven continents to find the most captivating, impactful humans for you. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to welcome you to a new season of the podcast. This season, I bring you some of the most important embodied people in my life. From all over the world, people I've met along my journey, I thought, hey, why not share them with the world? All right, this was one of my favorite episodes on this series thus far. It is with Dylan Bernstein, who is a dear friend and life mentor of mine. He is an Ashtanga yoga teacher all over the world. And uh, before that, he was doing the great anti-capitalist work, post-capitalist work. And so we get into discussions on everything from decentralization to identity and branding to the future of social media and, uh, of course, surfing and everything in between. So if you are really wanting to learn how to be a more honest, really integral human in the world that we have today and find yourself uh, swimming against the current, then this is definitely an episode for you to listen to. Enjoy. So everyone, we welcome, welcome, welcome Dylan. I'm really excited to have, um, yeah, just a little gesture of joy in my life be here on the podcast and I am currently speaking to you from the white mountains of eastern Spain and where are you Dylan? Uh, I'm in a very remote or almost it's about to not become remote uh, a a little island called Chiargao on the eastern tip of the um, Indonesian Philippines uh, series of islands (laughs) and uh, so we're just sorry eastern yeah eastern just staring off into the Pacific but it's been discovered now so it's Uh-oh. like, Uh-oh. yeah, it's it's the next big thing, and the government's decided it's the next big thing. So later, I uh, I want to ask you because I know you're a, a futurist, and it's very interesting <laughs> that we wind up in these places where it's like, wow, this is great, and in five years, I mean, how are we going to keep it alive? Anyway, I'm in the Philippines. I'm in the jungle. It's <laughs> sun's going down. It's high tide. It's gorgeous. <laughs> and thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited. I'm stoked to have you here. And I actually just want to start because you mentioned that you're near Indonesia, but you're not quite in Indonesia. And I, I It's like, crossed my mind. <laughs> the thought has crossed my mind. Should, should I tell the story or should you tell the story? I think, I think you should tell it. You should tell <laughs> okay, it. everyone. So Dylan and I were in Nusa Penida, which is an island off the southeast coast of Bali. And uh, we had swum a bit too far out just you know a bit too far when the current kind of takes you and you're like wow it's really difficult right now to swim back to the beach and so there we are probably 45 minutes later trampling our way through these waters until we reach the beach and as we reach the beach there's a Japanese tourist couple walking by and Dylan climbs up on the beach and says to them is this Indonesia (laughs) yeah totally they're like what no not having it totally excuse me we made it back to Indonesia and plus duly noted Andy, you were, Dr. Page, you were in a probably day 30 or day 40 of a juice cleanse or something. <laughs> so every two or three days, you'd be like, wow, really? Like, well, I just need a minute to breathe. I'm tired. And one of those occurrences was when we were good, whatever it was, mile, mile and a half offshore, maybe. 
I don't know how many knots. Oh, I don't know how many goodness. knots we were off the shore. But... Nautical knots. <laughs> so yeah, so that that theme of kind of playing jokes on life and approaching everything with that sense of I don't know what I call I would call it like ironic humor or that kind of just like twisting reality on its head with your as I know you're tired very well your Venus and Gemini is mm. is so beautifully communicated through the way that you live life and that's always been one of my favorite parts of interacting with you is that that just like I don't know triggering triggering one out of seeing the world through mundane monotony um, wow, and, thank you. That's great. Yeah, you really see me there. That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so I think where we can start then is perhaps where did that come from or how did that develop or how did you self-discover it and where does that tie into your hero's journey and tell us about yourself, Dylan. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I don't have the answer to that question. Where did it start? <laughs> um, I'm going to just explore from there. It definitely... I was more cynical, I think, uh, in my high school years. That is the same, it's the same vision, I think, being able to see sort of the joke and almost like the the futility of the day-to-day existence and how we try so hard to accomplish some goal and then at the last second, something totally different happens and we're left standing there with egg on our face, et cetera. Um, but it was, I was very self-defeating in my in my perspective or in my expression of that for a while. And at some mm-hmm. point, um, you know, I realized as well that it's also quite beautiful how life unfolds. And part of our trouble is that we think we know the answer, the way it's supposed to go, the way it should go. <laughs> if I do action A, I should get result B. And then we work really hard to do action A and all of a sudden result X, Y, and Z happen. And we have trouble to appreciate <laughs> the beauty of those results because we're still full. Where's B? I'm looking for B. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, that's great to hear. The downside of it is that, you know, with that kind of laughing perspective, it is easy to get cynical and then you see big change happening in the world, um, or people trying to take on the world's big issues. And it's quite, it's quite easy for me to step back and look at it from a a distance perspective and feel like, oh, isn't that funny? Ha ha ha. We're in this weird moment where, you know, South Sudan is broken off from Sudan. And oh my gosh, what are we doing? Is it tribal warfare? Ethiopia is going to help. Oh, does Ethiopia, can Ethiopia help? Et cetera. You start looking at this huge mess we call the world, especially the human world. And it gets easy to be overly detached, I think. So uh, part of my journey is to, is to really enjoy the ride and keep a inner smirk happening but also stay engaged somehow and uh, and support projects from from idealists who are doing that, you know, working towards the result B should result B be for the betterment of a lot of people on the earth. Yeah. Where does it come from? Mm. <laughs> from your Venus and Gemini, of course. From my Venus and Gemini, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, <laughs> you know, and I can remember, I can remember a distinct point, actually, now that thinking of it, one of the first times I was traveling outside the States, I must have been 20 years old, I was in southern Mexico, a little town called Palenque, I presume it's still there, producing fine mm-hmm. agricultural products, and uh, I was wandering outside of town, looking at the stars, and just laughing to myself, um, <laughs> Kind of, and maybe Venus and Gemini was there, just sort of seeing the whole galactic picture zooming out a little, and also looking at my own 
little concerns about, oh, am I writing enough or am I meditating enough? And, you know, looking at the galaxy thinking, wow, it's such a petty, petty idea. And, and finding the ultimate humor and really laughing in it. And from then I got interested in the trickster gods. And there are a few, especially native um, North and Central American cultures that have cults around a, a deity or a god or a ruling spirit that is very much just there tricking humans and laughing and mm -hmm. completely laughing. You have the raven um, in, in Southeast Alaska and the Klingit people. It's a huge, huge deity, really important. And it's always being a trickster. You have the coyote, the coyote spirit through North America. Um, and I'm not super informed about it, but I do really resonate with that idea that if God was interested in human affairs, um, she or he or whatever would be looking down and either just incredibly disappointed, like super pissed off, I would <laughs> think, or having a laugh uh, and or having a laugh. Um, I'm sure also inspired by all the beautiful people who are doing great work around the world, like yourself, like everyone listening to this, but as well, there's, when you really start to zoom out and see the big picture, um, I do think there's got to be an element of humor. There really has to be. And if you, for, for me, keeping that, then I certainly take my life, you know, seriously. I try and make good situations. Um, but as well, I, I feel like I can really appreciate a lot of little moments that come up. Yeah, I don't know. It's a big question. I'm really glad that you threw me a, a big question. I don't know. I can answer exactly where I came from, but I do remember that one moment walking the path in Chiapas thinking, oh my gosh, this must be hilarious to anyone watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember the, the time that we met in Bali already probably six, seven years ago, something like that. Um, yeah. It was this just nonstop laughter fest. Um, and that that ability to connect with another human who remembers that none of this is real um, yeah. is, is just like it's the, the greatest medicine I think that we could take in human interaction. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And remembering it's not real. I mean, that night when we we met at that uh, dinner party and yeah, that was just amazing. <laughs> I remember saying, oh, you know, uh, well, you've lived in in um, West Bengal and you you probably seek some uh, Bangladesh. Oh, excuse me, Bengali. What am I talking about? You probably speak some Bengali language. <laughs> really lost. And uh, and I was saying, yeah, and you know, you said you'd lived with, you'd stayed with the family of uh, Rabindranath Tagore. Tagore. I, was like, yeah. I love that poet, you know, amazing. He's the only he's the only person in history who's written that we know of who's written a national anthem for two different countries for both Bangladesh and India in two different languages. And you shot up, stood up, and started singing at the top of your lungs, right? A national anthem. Or the Bangladeshi national anthem? I don't remember. Yeah. Which yeah. The Bangladeshi national anthem. Yeah. Or the Bengali. Yeah. Does, does West Bengal have its own anthem? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, it was Bangladesh national anthem, Amarshanard Bangladesh, the, the golden, uh, our golden Bangladesh. And yeah, I mean, I think that what that 
what this conversation kind of directs towards is um, just self-reflection on anyone listening for who you're spending your time with. Like, mm-hmm. what is the quality of person in terms of their own worldview, their ability to uh, remember that everything is a joke and not take life so seriously? Secondarily, their own life experience and how they use that to fuel the creation of further culture and how you surround yourself with people that you're learning from or not. Like, it's kind of like if you're in, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room kind of deal. Mm, Yeah, definitely. And you're the wrong person, probably. Ha ha. (laughs) Um, Definitely. You're the wrong person. (laughs) Hey, I want you all to know out there, if you're the smartest person, you're the only person. You're the only real person in the room. Uh, no, I, that's a good point, though, because probably a lot of your listeners, I would guess, um, it's, a, it's a shared experience where you're like, depending what you do, you know, I mean, for me, when I'm with people who want to talk about only about the subject in which I work and the students of these teachers and stuff, it, the conversation winds up really bound. It winds up really repetitive. You feel like you're having the same conversation over and over again. People start repeating memes or something they've read on social media. Or, you know, it's not really a conversation. Um, so I think yeah. your point is really astute that then, you know, when I'm feeling like, wow, this isn't stimulating, I'm not learning from this. Um, I, I would rather be in a different, in a different room. Uh, yeah. And I much love being with experts of things I know nothing about. You know, they're the best. You can pester them and find out like, oh, so wait, what does, how do, you know, how does geothermal dynamics actually work? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but being around a bunch of people in one subject area who are only going to talk within the boundaries of that subject. Oh, oh, it just feels like I can feel the life draining out of me. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, the interdisciplinary flavor of of healthy life, almost. Yeah, and finding people who are, who are in on a joke as well—that's it. I mean, if you can find people <laughs> in your industry who share your place or who also see the beautiful, hilarious, comic nature of it, then then you've got some reflections, some wonderful things that you can share and laugh out. Mm. And maybe, like you've said, yeah. that's the, that's the most important communication that happens. Really, is is yeah. laughing medicine Mm, yes love it so good um so tell us a little bit about your life story if you will your own hero's journey and the trajectory that's taken you to where you are today okay well like many modern day heroes i was born in toledo ohio sometimes (laughs) known as the birthplace of a hero (laughs) i mean you've got jamie farr you've got i don't know probably some other people who were born there Uh, no, um, so I grew up in a small town and like Andy Warhol said, uh, the best thing about growing up in a small town, well, he said it in a very derogatory way is that you hate it and you know, you're going to get out. And I didn't hate it. I loved where I grew up. But once I started to look around a bit in the States as a youngster and see, wow, there's like New York city, there's a beach in California. Oh my gosh. Um, I just, my outward journey kind of continued out of Toledo, Ohio, and I love Toledo. I haven't spent much time there since I was 17, but I love to go back and see the people who stayed and made it super cool. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a cool place. And wait a minute. We share roots. That's right. You're from the big... Yeah. Yes. Ohio uh, represents. Ohio represent represents that. You know, the big joke about Ohio is what's round on the ends and, and high, high in middle, the middle. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, 
someone asked somebody asked my friend that I said, Oh, I'm taking my girlfriend, I'm taking Robin to to Ohio. And my friend Tarek, who's from Ohio, said, Oh, hey, what's round on the ends and high in the middle? And she was like, uh, a nipple? And I was like, Oh my god, I never thought of that. It is kind of round on the ends and high in the middle. <laughs> never I know, I never thought of that. She when really I was thought a kid, was, I wrote in that joke to the newspaper. No way. You were oh, like, yeah. your editor? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we've never heard that before. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, growing up in Ohio, it is what it is. I spent time in the States. How does this journey go? I guess it was a quest for freedom at any and all costs. Mm. And my teens, my 20s, freedom, um, I was curious if freedom might be found at the bottom of a bottle of liquor or in a pill or other <laughs> you know, intoxicating use. And, you know, you sort of, I think a lot of addicts um, get a, a hint of freedom, a, a little glimpse of freedom in some state, in some sense. But um, in the end, it, it winds up feeling like a, a bit of a cage. So I've spent my 20s in the States both working on social justice issues in the streets in Seattle, 1999 in education and trying to get um, logos and corporate advertising out of public schools. That was sort of my mission. Our NGO is the Center for Commercial Free Public Education. Quite a mouthful. Mm. Um, which, if you explain that to anyone else in the world, it used to be that they would say, well, I don't even understand that. Are there commercials in public schools? And in America, there were. And then I felt like I was doing... Um, a lot of work to save the world as in the streets. And uh, yeah, there was definitely the element of humor, but I was also bitter and angry and about how things were going down with politics. Um, I was playing some music, but also getting high a lot and trying to avoid or trying to escape um, the, the bitterness I saw in reality. So at some point that quest for freedom and the quest for freedom meant I would have to do more work on myself. I wasn't going to be able to shout at the oppressors long enough um, for them to allow me to be free. You know, I had to mm -hmm. do whatever it took for to to do some self work and some self operation to get free. So I left the states in after September 11th, 2001, and started traveling around. I came to Southeast Asia. And I'm still here. I guess that's, that's the short story. Mm -hmm. um, 18 years later. But so uh, travel was always a big part of my scene. My home life was really cluttered and cramped and small. I love my parents. They're amazing people. Love them completely, 100%, 100 million percent. But it also made me look outward. Growing up in Toledo made me look outward. So there's a big part of my journey that was outward. At some point, I thought, wait a minute, there's a lot of work that needs to be done inward as well. So I lived in Vietnam. I traveled through India for, um, I guess, my first trip was over a year. And then I was taking on a daily yoga and meditation practice. And I found great vehicles for that inner work. And I had found that stuff in Ohio as a young, early teen, 14 years old. Started practicing in 1989, but then got more dedicated to it when my Saturn was exactly in return. Um, in 2004. And so from then, I went back to Vietnam and uh, sober, 
daily meditation, daily yoga practice, really happening, really into it. And somehow a dear friend of mine convinced me to be the general manager of his huge nightclub that he was opening, which was just <laughs> absolutely crazy thing. Uh, but it was hilarious and helpful. We did that for a year. It's still there. Amazingly lush. If you're in Saigon, Oof, be careful. Um, and that's the name of the place. Uh, and I wasn't just throwing out derogatives. About Get lost. Get lost. Get lost, and then um, so then I started to travel more. So returning to India and then coming over to Europe, and eventually started making it to Africa. And I'm bouncing around quite a bit, so my carbon footprint is um, quite shameful. But I'm starting to slow down more because that outward journey and inward journey are both happening at the same time. And the quest for freedom is a an interesting one. I don't know that we ever really achieve full freedom but it's an interesting quest to be on for sure um and i think that it is one the quest for freedom of course can't be prescribed there's no 10 easy steps to bring you to freedom it's a completely individual journey for each and every one and so mm -hmm. yeah today my journey finds me in the philippines um Yesterday, I went surfing for the first time. It's always good to pick up new things. Wow. Yeah. Wow. No. You surfed? How was that? Like you would have... It was amazing. And it was relatively easy. It was far easier than I thought it would be. I mean, I had a great instructor, great board and such. But I thought I would have, I was trying to figure out why I delayed it for so long. And the reason I had delayed it for so long, I don't mind being bad at things. I like learning. Um, you know, I sometimes I'm worried when I look bad at something I'm supposed to look good at in front of people. But in general, I don't mind looking bad at something. But I was really concerned that you'd have a very short amount of time, like a split second, to figure out how to get up and balance and have your hands and your feet and your arms and your knees in the right position, or you just fall, and then you'd have to paddle back out and start over. But in mm -hmm. fact... There is enough time and there is enough space for you to make the adjustments you need to make. And that was really um, refreshing. And it put me into a wonderful mind state where maybe, you know, we feel rushed by this modern life. But what if there was enough time? What if there is enough space for you in your life? Just make the adjustments that you need to make and you stay upright for a little while and then you go tumbling down and then you try again. Um, I really liked it. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Ah, the ah. true mark of a spiritual yeah. teacher relating surfing to the self-experience. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure that there's yeah a lot of a lot of that. The surfers always sort of have a, a very interesting spirituality. I'm not one of them, and I don't understand it or anything. But they there's a lot that's unspoken. I think I think they're tapped mm -hmm. into a, a joy and an essence that they know they aren't going to be able to describe their experience on those waves to anyone, even to the person next to them, even to their teacher and their best friends. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel like people who probably talk a lot about their surfing, it's probably hokey. I don't know. There must be like surfing blogs out there where people are like deep thoughts about surfing. But <laughs> it, it reminds me of yoga. It reminds me of yoga where, I mean, how many deep thoughts do you really want to hear about yoga? I mean, it's just practice, right? <laughs> But now it's become the hashtag. Can you can you pump out a yoga hashtag?
Quick, Andy, <laughs> what's your favorite yoga hashtag right now? New one. We're launching. Oh, launching yoga <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh, no. that's crazy. Influence. <laughs> Good. We'll start that. Everyone, please join the Odilan hashtag. <laughs> yes, that's O H D Y L A N, and it's all one word. I just, I just want to specify that for any any of the listeners who might be my age. We're like, no, is that two words? The hashtag. When you you write it out, how do you spell hashtag? I'm sure all these jokes. Oh, <laughs> my first my first Ashtanga teacher in India, brilliant, beautiful man in VJMR, um, mm. at some point was convinced to join Facebook, and and he's on there, he's on social media. And it's cool. And all of a sudden, you know, years into Facebook, VJ is like, all right, fine, I'm doing this. You know, I'm sure some student convinced him you have to do this. So students know who you are. So he pops up with some, you know, Asana photos or whatever. OK, beautiful. His Asana looks great. But then if he saw something he would like, he would, in capital letters, write in the comments, <laughs> like, L-I-K-E. <laughs> so, so like, he would be looking through comments, like, and if you're literate computer literate you know like social media literate i guess you see the capital letters and you think well he's like screaming <laughs> but all of his students we love it and every now and then on one of his photos will bust out a like <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. there's there's a great there's a great analogy there for for not being literate or not not having the vehicle not knowing that the vehicle the thumbs up like button exists and you so badly want to do something, he so badly, passionately, in all capital letters, wants to like whatever it is that he's being shown. And yet he doesn't know that the vehicle of the thumb exists. And so it's like the on our path of discovery, trusting in a way that the vehicles that we need to be driving to go where we need to go exist. We just kind of have to put one foot in front of another. And, and VJ needs to wait until one of his students shows in the like button. Yeah, for sure. And someone shows him that eventually. And then, you know, what happens there is then pff, his consciousness gets trained into the same consciousness that everyone else is having in the world, which is great. It's empowering because he gains the language and literacy to operate in this new world. I mean, whatever, you know, whatever that is. But at the same time, a much more unique consciousness gets trained into this one consciousness like if we we're all to learn to speak esperanto you know or or a common language um or even literacy like you mentioned i'm sure you realize you know the idea that we should be reading things and that's how we're going to find out information that's how we're going to know things as opposed to no i heard it in the song or i heard it from the birds or i heard it in the waves and that's how i know things mm -hmm. um yeah it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you probably talk tech with people more than you'd like, but, you know, I'm a bit of an outsider in the internet. I use it a lot, and but it never feels fully home, and I don't think I'm going to stick with it. I never, I don't <laughs> feel like, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, the internet, this thing's cool. Yeah, I'm checking it out. Do you remember these decades when we're on the internet? But because in my life it came around, I guess, I don't feel like, it's my water. Whereas I think um, people in the so-called millennial generation, I think y'all grew up with it. So it's just water to you. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is what we do. Drink some water. You post this thing. Um, and, yeah, I think I'm probably at some point going to retreat from it. Um, mm -hmm. Not, from, you know, I mean, I won't be totally offline, but the, the social media, I, I mean, it is the most effective, beautiful, powerful tool 
we have to look at this mirror and watch the human mind, how it grasps for it grasps for identity, how it we desperately want to be someone. Uh, we don't have to be important. We don't have to be happy, you know, just to have an identity that other people see and they reinforce back to us like, oh, yeah, you are a yoga teacher or you are good at this or you're this many years old or you're bad at these things. And so it's like this amazingly powerful tool to satisfy and satiate that human desire for identity. And at the same time, if we get lost, if you think that's real, ooh, we are in deep trouble. If you think that's who you are, or if you think that's who I am, I meet people all the time who are like, oh, I'm aware of this because I saw it online. I'm like, oh, well, that's okay. I mean, maybe that's true for you. But just because it's online does not necessarily mean it's it's real. What do you think? You're the futurist in the room. Yeah, right? and undoubtedly. Totally. Artist person. Uh, <laughs> Are we going to go post? Are we going to go post internet? Yes. Okay. So I love this question, and I also want to bring past millennial because it's almost like millennials are old, right? Millennials are still yeah. on Facebook, and people who are still on Facebook are old uh, because I've what heard. is young, of course, is Generation Z and beyond. And Gen Z is such a powerful. Like, I mean, I didn't have an iPhone until I guess university. I got my first iPad, iPod in high school. So, you know, it's still a delayed thing. Like I wasn't using cell phones until high school, whereas the kids born today are literally born with an iPad in their hands kind of thing. And yeah. so, and even Generation Z was like that as well, uh, albeit on, on first generation iPads or less, less functioning devices, uh, lesser functioning. Mm. And so where we're going to go is obviously the um, complete instantaneous almost um big 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 uh curve of technology that will bring us to interfaces that are more entangled in our life and so when you give the analogy of water i love that how how you were saying that um social media and technology is just like water to millennials it's as, as normal and as big a part of your daily intake as is water. Mm. Well, um, I would argue, obviously, from the health standpoint, as you know very well, that we're not drinking enough water every day. And so there is a need for water to become so much more of an obvious part of your life, whether that is literal springs throughout cities that people walk past and are easily reminded to drink, or water bottles that are built into um, whatever purse or bag or whatever that they would bring around. So it just becomes so much more of a habit. Um, and the internet will become that much more seamlessly integrated into our lives. So, uh, you remember the Google glass project, which was far ahead of its time and failed just because there wasn't product market fit. And it was too revolutionary of an idea at that time, um, around 10 years ago to seven years ago. Um, that kind of thing is being developed and will be released by Apple and others, uh, within the next year to two. And so having an interface that's much more entangled around uh, AR, uh, augmented reality, where you have different projections on top of what you do see in 3D reality. Um, Yeah, that sounds sweet, because then I can go get me my Pokemons. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm going to rustle them up. No, Uh but uh, yeah, I I do think... I mean, that must have been a huge breakthrough when we look back, the Pokemon game or whatever of, of AR, you know, that we had millions of people across the world, like looking at their phone to see if there's Pokemons under the bed or, 
yeah. over there. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, it was I mean, a great is the, mining experiment, is what that was. There was a lot yeah, of... Yeah, well, it's all... I bet. I mean, the whole thing is data mining. I mean, the whole... That's why it's set up. I mean, uh, you know, I, the year I got my first cell phone, you know, I was working in an NGO and on the to getting advertising out of schools and our really great coalition partners were really smart and and they were privacy advocates and they were really worried about corporations being in schools because they were collecting data of the kids and to mm. hear from the privacy advocates i mean and they collected it right to hear from the privacy advocates just how much data was being collected i had no idea it it totally blew my mind and this was uh maybe 2000 the year 2000 um mm-hmm. and I realized, wow, video games, online video games, it's, it's a great tool for data marketers because what they're trying to establish is a psychographic profile. Who does that individual want to be? Who do they believe they are? If you could choose between playing any of these five characters, would you be the wizard, the elf, the warrior, the princess, you know, or the dark villain? Um, and that tells them so much. And so I think we've just continued. I guess a couple of years ago, there was a big scandal. It was in the newspaper that, guys, Facebook is mining your data. Wow. Hello. What did you think it was? I can't believe that people needed to be told that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I think that that is tricky. And I, I don't see where those protections are going to come from i guess it's going to create the data mining is going to get so aggressive and that we're going to have such integration of technology that then it's going to create such a market for people who don't want to have all their data mined that there'll be products you can buy and shields and little caves yes. you can hide in <laughs> so i want to i want to actually take this opportunity to to invite everyone to step back to be kind of in that cosmic perspective that you were in Palenque, Mexico at the age of 20 of looking up at the stars and just zooming out and realizing, oh, wait, none of this is real. And I, I can, A, not take it so seriously, and also, B, um, see things from the bigger picture. Because to hear you say to me, Dylan, I can't believe you didn't realize, or to the people, I, like, how did you not realize that data mining was all that Facebook was? Right. We are so trapped, entrapped in, in the sheep pen in which we live that we don't realize that another universe outside of it exists or that there are people controlling that sheep pen with desires for us. Um, so, yeah, just like kind of totally. that breath That's to really be good. able to, to have your moment uh, under the stars and to apply yeah. that same vehicle of inquiry to any other part of your life, whether it's with your corporate job or your relationship or how you relate to your parents or any kind of institutions that you're affiliated with. Like what's a question that I've been incessantly asking for the past year and a half as I've been getting into the futurist blockchain, uh, crypto venture, um, just like the people who are moving and shaking the revolutionary aspects of the world as I've been getting into that space. The question that I keep asking is what are we really doing here? What are we actually doing here? And, and so to zoom out from the mundane monotony of the everyday and, and to like take a second and, and see what's going on is really valuable in any sector. So that was my, yeah, that's great. And that's so empowering. Andy, that's great. I mean, you are so gifted with that. Like, I can see a problem or make a joke or see it cynical. But then, yeah, the, to be empowering people to, like, it's right there, too. I mean, 
the freedom that we're seeking from being in the sheep pen, we don't need to break down any pen. We don't need to, you know, overthrow yeah. the internet or anything. It's right there. And so the outward journey is happening. You're zooming out, but then there's, it's all through the inward journey as well to be like, okay, I'm inhaling. Wow. Check it out. Hey, there's a bird over there. What am I doing? I'm playing a video game just to spend some time. Fine. And okay. I mean, as long as we're aware of what we're doing, I think, you know, we do manage to free ourselves up. And it is incredibly empowering. Mm. Yeah. And this, I mean, that, so that was most of my career in health and yoga was asking the question, what am I actually experiencing right now? What am I actually experiencing mm. right now? What's real for me right now? And um, to get back into deep relationship with the human nervous system. And um, so what you don't know, Dylan, is that I've been working for the past uh, almost a year um, of, of realization more than anything of a field called intelligence amplification, which is what's beyond AI. And um, that is really the portal. It's, it's using biodata feedback to bring us back into that inner journey uh, with more or less a desire to keep us in an optimized human state or what I would edit to be a self-reflective optimized as human state where we get to process things as they come up rather than escaping them or or just drudging through the mundane monotony and not getting that opportunity to zoom out and say what's really going on here and so um a big part of my, yeah my decade will be to truly create technology that um incurs this induced self-reflection so that's that. amazing that because someone showed me 10 years ago i went to a lab at a university in hong kong uh, by Dr. Gino Yu, and and he yeah. showed me what he was working <laughs> on. You know what I'm talking about, Gino? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And he was yeah. like, yeah, dude, you're into this consciousness trip. We do the consciousness festival. You're into like tech and consciousness. It's going to be amazing. And he showed me, he got this huge lab of people working on bio data feedback uh, apps and readers and stuff. And, you know, the cynic, the cynical dark side in me, seeing the joke of it all, I was like, man, people aren't going to go for that. You know, People are not going to get their phone to know their heartbeat or their sleep pattern or, you know, how much oxygen they're getting. And wow, was I wrong? I mean, yeah. amazing that people are totally everywhere across the world. People are waking up to the fact that they can use the tech to actually hack is not the right word, but to take responsibility for their own biofeedback. And I'm amazed. I think you're the perfect person to be working on that and bringing it to the next level. And when you mentioned the water thing before, I, I thought of joking and saying, you know, maybe we can have an app that reminds people to drink water. <laughs> I'm sure that you're working on oh, it exists. beyond that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit, yeah, I, I a do have a startup on it. Okay. There you go. It's all, nice. It's also you What's know, it talking called? about poop. It's called Veda. Now poop is yeah. called what? Veda. Veda. The AI is named Veda. Oh, cool. Yeah, there you go. But now an app for poop. I mean, you're onto something there because people know they should drink enough water and, and they do and they don't. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of information out there. It's not anywhere near as detailed as your life's work. But just in general, people drinking more water, they're kind of on it. But people do not want to think about their poop. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to know about it. And it's a shame because there's a lot of really nice poop out there these days, you know, and I think people can people could really appreciate it but they could also learn quite poop a bit book. i had a student come back to me the poop book that's how we started this whole thing when we met that was what we were saying right we're like everyone posts photos of their food on facebook no one posts photos of their poop 
What's up with that? It's wrong. I mean, anyone could order that salad. Anyone can order, but how well trained is your machine? I want to see what that looks like. One, yeah, 100%. On a I mean, transit time. Michael and I have a coffee table book up and coming. Don't worry. Oh, that is awesome. That is yeah. going to be, I'm in. I'm in. Advanced order. Very good. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, like there's, I'm, I love that this is where the conversation's gone because there's so many hot topics and so many things that are really close to my heart. Um, Brittany Kaiser, who, who was cool. one of the main uh, whistleblowers for Cambridge Analytica for that big Facebook psyops case, uh, is a very, very close friend of mine. And I've just been with her mm. through the release of uh, the Netflix film, The Great Hack, which was released probably exactly a week ago on Netflix. So uh, if you haven't watched The Great Hack yet, please, everyone, do. Uh, It details the case of the years of development of Cambridge Analytica and um, the tactics used and the multiple governments. That's the part that you would be interested in, Dylan. The multiple governments around the world um, where this was tested, how Brexit was, was literally testing ground to see if Facebook ads could be used as a psyops vehicle uh pre-trump to make sure that trump would get elected and whatnot so um the way in which britney's moving forward uh from that film is by pioneering the own your data campaign and so she's working with um places around the world to have whether it's telecom or governments um specifically in africa and elsewhere to have the data mining be something that people are paid for, that, that it is a, a digital property, right? That then mm-hmm. it's bought, mm-hmm. right? Because it's going to get there anyway, because that's, that's the architecture of this cyber institutional network that we've built, is that our data is mined. And rather than it being mined for free, that uh, it's bought from us and that that in turn pays our cell phone bill or pays our internet bill so that there is this this feedback loop. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's it's a bit of a revolution. It's fascinating that. because it is because it's really it's a great like where we're at is this. Some people are calling it late stage capitalism. I think that's optimistic, but I'm with it. But we're in this place where, OK, communism, forget about it. It's not really happening. Socialism. Yeah, right. We're in this place where you got to make a buck. And looking at at data as being a huge natural resource, um, which is like you're saying, it's already being mined. So why aren't people being paid for it? It's just like colonial powers cruising into less developed countries 150 years ago and just taking stuff out of the earth being like, well, we're taking it out. So it's ours now. Um, Yeah, that's really cool. And I'm I'm super interested to watch that film, The Great Hack, because, you know, I, I laugh it off like, come on, how did you not know Facebook was mining? I know that Facebook is mining, but I don't think I have any idea about the complexity or how good they are at it or who's involved. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, would, I would love to, to take Definitely. a look. And it's all happening now. That's the exciting part. I mean, it was already a year ago that uh, or probably a year and a half ago now that uh, data surpassed oil and its value. And it is now the most valuable commodity in the world. And um, is that right? I love. Wow. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, and to have your, I love your analogy that you paint between colonialism or imperialism, perhaps the better word, in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, the colonial forces coming in and just pillaging and raping and taking the wealth of the nations, usually the less developed or the subaltern nations, um, and using it to their advantage. And that's how the colonial powers or Western Europe and North America came to be what it is today. And um, 
we could say the same about the Silicon Valley tech companies and the giants. And so what excites me is the liberation that goes beyond that when the independent nations come, when, uh, you know, the Baden conflict uh, conference happens in the 60s and we have the second world coming out to say, you know what, or the third world to say we are third world nations. We are not the first world, right? We are not capitalist. We are not the second world. We are not communist. We are the third world. We are going to be something else. And of course, the term today, third world country, has become derogatory, although what it originally meant from the sub-Saharan African and the Latin American countries was that they wanted to exist in another way or express themselves in another way um, through their socio-political interactions. And um, yeah, that's been, I would say, my greatest rebirth of coming, you know, through my Saturn return. I went off grid. I went into silence. I left my career in health and yoga and really allowed the futurist being that I am to to reemerge and the pol- political economist that I once was as an undergraduate to to again have space. And 10 right. years later, I can come back to the world only because the movement of decentralization is happening. And so there's there's a fine tightrope between privacy. Right. So the privacy advocates and the transparency advocates. Right. Because both of them right. are somehow mm-hmm. uh, combating what currently exists or speaking out against what currently exists but the privacy advocates mm, they don't really have so much leverage because the world is already architected as i said this cyber world of data mining and so uh, what we can have though things based on blockchain technology where it's no longer centralized in this central governing force whether that is the government or the silicon valley tech company and rather it's a peer-to-peer more open transparent network uh, of devices and people and inf- information sharing like Napster was back in the day. Um, oh, yeah. Where that's the future of the world. Love and it. so that, that's how I've re-entered. Yeah, that's wonderful. All of that is wonderful. I mean, right, because I do feel like the privacy battle, I mean, it was a beautiful battle to have, to have fought, but I don't see how we get back to trying to fight for protection of that. Like you're saying, there's another way forward. That's information, new information to me uh, about first world, second world, third world origins. And I've always wondered how, why do we just come up with this tier system and why do we decide, oh, you're, oh, you're a little dirty country, aren't you? You're a third world. We decided, you know, um, yeah. that's really, that's really interesting that they were trying to look towards a, a different way outside of the, the powers of capitalism and, and communism. And I love that you are back or still, I guess, back in the fold of looking at global geopolitics and economics and how it runs stuff, because it does feel like a dirty world. But we need really sharp leaders like you who are like, OK, how what, what's the next step forward? How can we hack our way out of this? Um, yeah, it's wonderful. And I, I, again, congratulate you for for leaving yoga. I have not uh, yet left, though. <laughs> More and more often, the, the thought crosses my mind. And I'm not talking about leaving the practice. Uh, that That's yeah. obvious, I think, to the listenership. It's not like, oh, I don't know why I'm still doing this practice. I'm talking about the industry as it gets more and more corrupt, more and more hypocritical. Um, and, the, you know, it's being stuck in that room and having that same conversation where it's like, wait, no one in here is actually producing an independent critical thought. Everyone in here is just trying to repeat what they saw or heard they're supposed to say. Um, so yeah, that's great. You've hacked your way out of yoga as well. Um, mm-hmm. do you ever miss it? Do you ever, are you ever like, Oh, I wish I was, do you ever teach sometimes you're teaching classes and stuff? Uh, yoga classes. not really. I mean, if I'm in a situation where I love people, I will, 
Um, I was just mm-hmm. consulting for a startup in Los Angeles in May. It was an environmental startup looking to be the last climate change movement in history. And um, as I was doing emotional intelligence consultancy for them, uh, I did offer one or two yoga classes only. But mm, no, I don't. And I have to tell you, Dylan, that stepping away from the world of yoga was single-handedly the most liberating thing that I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah, totally. If you really want to get free, don't do yoga. That's the new, yeah, the new freedom. I, mean, I, will, I will just like kind of delineate that for, for the people who are listening. Dylan and I both kind of um, skated amongst the ranks of those teaching yoga and those building brands as a yoga teacher and all of this sure. as we get into the insta-yogi age. Um, where the two of us that deeply, let's say, allow this to be a, a practice offline and off the mat and like in a deep self-reflective vehicle of change way um, that could never be exhibited on Instagram. <laughs> like that, right. that quality of yoga, I always felt in the commercial world, um, I was always the referee kind of between the outside world saying, this isn't really yoga to the inside world, my students and my teacher trainings being like, there's more, go deeper. And it was always just very exhausting for me. Um, yeah, so, it is it's because it's like you're swimming upstream, right? The entire time yeah. you're like, no, no, I know that I can help. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Oh, wait, you had an agreement. Your studio has an agreement to play this music or there's an ad on a wall or something. You're like, oh my gosh. Okay, anyway, if I can reach one person in the room, that's going to be great. But it does feel like you're, you're swimming upstream. And someone told me, I'm so naive. Someone told me years ago, you're not on Instagram. You should totally get on Instagram. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not super into photography. I mean, I like it, but I don't, you know, it's not a big thing for me. And they said, oh yeah, but it's not just that. It's really great for yoga. I mean, it's so great for yoga. And I, I joined Instagram because someone, a dear, dear friend of mine, who's a beautiful artist, a great yogi said, uh, it's good for yoga. And so I got on Instagram and I looked and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is what he means. It's like good for yoga. Like there's all these people proclaiming themselves as influencers, proclaiming themselves as, you know, asana masters or, or just showing their stuff. And I thought, oh, this is not, this is no yoga happening here at all. Um, yeah. And I mean, what can be the fodder to be fed to the sheep is is light. It needs to be light. If it's too dense of fodder, then the sheep won't digest it. And that is, you know, how not to disrupt the system. And so, of course, true yoga can and will never be found online. Um, mm. And yet do those daily reminders of I love to take a deep breath and sit by a mountain like yoga shot selfie pose. Does that actually serve in the so bigger picture? The last. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 to me, if you believe, if you're caught up in that in some way, and I know a lot of people who, who are, and maybe I am too, and that's fine, um, it, then I think the real danger is you're seeking, we are seeking validation of an identity. And all identity is created, I believe. It's not that somehow you're showing your Atman or your true emptiness or your Shunyata on, online and being like, this is who I actually am. It's just a created identity. And if you believe that and you're like, oh, look, I'm getting validated. When I show off my butt, I'm getting tons of validation. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. Here's who I am. I'm a girl with a butt and I do yoga and this is who I'm going to be. Um, I mean, I just think it's really shallow and dangerous. 
I mean, I'm fine with people putting pictures of their butts on social media. I, if I could vote for it, I would. But it, the danger is that we think we can. We think that that that's who we are. And yeah. you know, it's already. I mean, Buddha, two thousand six hundred years ago, was already saying, "Whoa, the danger here is that." And before him, Vedas and Upanishads were saying, "The danger is you see the body, you hear your voice, you think your thoughts, and the danger is you think that's who you are." And now we've got this huge intensifier on that whole thing with the social media. But again, it could be the greatest tool to look at that and go, well, that's not who I am. That's mm -hmm. just a collection of photos. I mean, mm -hmm. that's cool, but it's not who I am because it could remind you to do that work that you've been talking about where you just take a breath and who am I? Whoa, yeah. I don't know. There's just a galaxy of infinite potential and questioning happening in there. And that's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, democratize self-knowing. That's the goal with the astrology work, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that the like the hero's journey, which I refer to as I've gotten deeper and deeper into the writing, the practice of writing and um, integrating that into self-reflection and any kind of detoxification or transformative work, is uh, that, in a way, our data trail that we've left over the past decade plus of having a Facebook account um, shows a really beautiful coming to be of, of our own hero's journey over at least the past decade. Um, and it has in one way served the purpose of being that, uh, what did you used to call it? Scrapbook. Like it's been that digital scrapbook, mm -hmm. that archive of how we perceive the world from status updates to people we become friends with when, and pictures we choose to post or don't. And um, that's actually, it's beautifully displayed in Brittany's own recollection of her Facebook profile over the years in the great hack. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully I hope in the migration of Facebook to um, there's actually a decentralized social network system that's built on the EOS blockchain called voice uh, that we'll be releasing okay. probably by the end of the year. And, and that's our hope at least is to that be the disruptor of Facebook that um, in the migration from Facebook to voice, that there will be like an exhibition almost of your own hero's journey and that that will instill self-reflection and that that will be the, the jump point, the leap beyond the fixated identity to self-reflectiveness of becoming, of recognizing our own development and our becoming. To quote That's Michelle Obama. brilliant because, <laughs> yeah, hey, quote Michelle Obama. Oh my gosh, that's what this world needs. More more <laughs> Michelle Obama, happens, frankly. Um, but that is brilliant because I do, you know, like you've said previously. I think everyone knows it. Uh, millennials still use Facebook, and the, the younger generations are off it. Facebook's for people who are older. Then there's Insta, and wow, that was kind of cool for a while. When I look at Instagram now, and I'm old, I, I don't really have the literacy like this. I'm, you know, I'm the guy typing like in capital letters at this point, <laughs> but. but when I look at Instagram, I mean, it looks totally played out, you know, there's this, it looks like it's stagnant, like there's no excitement there. There's a lot of people who are uh, sort of, it looks desperate, like desperately trying to convince you that there's someone of merit and of worth and of value who you should know about or, or you should care about. But it looks really desperate to me. And I think, I feel like it's, I feel like it's going away. Like 
I think we've kind of blown the top off this myth of the influencer who's just so pretty and popular that they never need to work. They just post photos of themselves and people give them snow cones for free or something. I mean, I think, or the yoga, the yoga stars who make whatever it is, six figures, you know, a hundred thousand bucks a year, just by posting, I'm in these pants, I'm in that, that this resort. It's a myth. I mean, maybe, maybe some of those people still exist. The Rachel, whomever yoga girl or whatever, but I think the uh, the number of hours that people are spending in a desperate scramble to try to get to that level of financial independence and notoriety, I mean, if people just opened uh, a lemonade stand and spent that many hours selling lemonade, I think they'd probably do just as well. I don't think mm-hmm. that um, the Instagram dream of of being a sheep and then somehow turning that into being an influencer I think it's dead. I think it's been exposed. And instead of a lemonade stand, I think people have much more, well, I mean, lemonade stands are cool, but not everyone should have a lemonade stand. You know, people have much more varied and unique things that they can offer to the world than just trying to look cool on a, on a Photoshopped photo. Um, So I'm really glad to hear that voice is coming because that does sound interesting and like it's done by the cutting edge mind because the world needs something next. We're not ready to get off social media. I don't think, like you've said, there's just going to be more and more integration. There's so much money in, in data and the mining thereof, as you've put forward. So there needs to be something that happens, but Facebook is for old fogies like me. Instagram is already looking really stale and stagnant. I think so I'm very curious about what the next platform will be. Yeah. And to have it decentralized is amazing. So there's there's also, I have a friend who I met a year ago, one of my newer, like, really amazing fast click friends who I was like, yes, you are a comrade in this revolution, um, who is, he has the startup out of Denmark, uh, and he wants to create what's called insight media, and that it is what's beyond social media in that it's sharing parts of your day but rather than sharing it in a way that is identity based or um, kind of ostentatious, look what I can do based or uh, look where I am or who I'm associated with or whatever it is. But instead, it's what I've learned from this experience. And so the insight media is mm. sharing something you've learned so that then the social media vortex becomes um, empowering and uplifting rather than um kind of deconstructing us into our own myriad of individualism. Um, Yeah, that that sounds brilliant. Those are the posts that I think really work well as well already in social media. Somebody's where like, here's a photo, here's a direct connection to what I've learned. But to actually, Mm -hmm. they sort of have to to swim upstream to to get that insight in there. But to have a a platform based around insight, that could be really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that exists. If anyone is interested listening, it's called Duckling, and you can get it, I think, in the Apple Store and Google Play. Um, So Duckling. And then um, also what I'm interested in is, uh, well, before I go there, because I want to talk about branding, uh, but also the, have you seen TikTok? No. No. So, so this is a wonderful vehicle for uh, facial recognition collection, by all means. That's essentially all it serves. Uh, but it is a platform for Generation Z and younger. 
um, that is the ultimate creativity vehicle. In fact, Dylan, I do recommend that you download it maybe on someone else's phone and um, play with it because you're going to be astounded because if things like this existed when we were kids, like Mm. it's just incredible. Mm. The the cyber world for infinite creativity, you can choose from a, a huge selection of audio tracks and then you essentially become an instantaneous video editor with a number of all of the filters that either change your face into some gory Halloween thing or into it like a realistic puppy dog or whatever it might be. Just the AI filters for, for face and morphing are so, so far advanced these days that wow. this kind of uh, play, if you will, is um, ultimately seductive, su- super enticing. And this is what mm. the kids of, of this day do it, are doing. And um, TikTok can or will be really the next version of Instagram. Um, and the interesting thing okay. is that I think, in a way, it maybe separates a, us a little from identity because there's no brand that you can associate with or location or lifestyle or uh, me, me, me. And it's more about what do I create rather than who am I and how I define myself. So it's a step away. Yeah, it's a step away. The data sounds fascinating. As a somebody who's curious what kind of data they're mining, again, to be able to see the fantasy world, you know, like a, like a video game or whatever, but to be like, okay, do you choose, as you've mentioned, the, the scary Halloween gore mask, you know, mm-hmm. or do you choose a fairy princess and how do you see that? And it's not just that simplistic of, oh, you're one of these t- five types of people No, the algorithms they can set up are so amazing with shopping habits and the whole trip that uh, to get that kind of psychographic profile from kids, especially kids at a young age, you know, if you could, one thing we learned about why the, the marketers and the, the brands wanted to be in the public school so desperately was they had finally just realized, well, if we get them while they're young, we've got them for life. They're just mm-hmm. not as media literate as old fogies. Um, yeah, it's, it's curious to see all these things of what's next and to keep some humor about it as well. Um, and see what the next big thing is going to be. Yeah. Oh my God. We could go down so many, but I want to Mm. finish on, Mm. um, a little discussion of branding and a, a big part of my own interest in this is that that's why I never let really my health career become anything because I knew it wasn't about me. And I knew that if, this was actually going to be expressed in the way in which I wanted it to. And people would have the transformative experience that, that I wanted them to, it would be a process on their own with their eyes closed and it wasn't about me. And so any concept of branding that ever came in, um, I was just never comfortable with. And by the end of my career, when I had to walk away, I realized that I had made this brand of a professional ego of Dr. Andrea page. And it just like made me Mm. nauseous. And so what is like, what is your thought on branding? Mm -hmm. Because I know that your 20 year plan, which is now probably a 15 year plan, Dylan, is to become the man. And so where does this fit in your life? Oh, no, I I just said I want to become a man, a man (laughs) by the time I'm in my mid 60s. So I was hoping this extended puberty would eventually just kind of resolve. I'm going to give myself to 65, 70, 60, precocious. No, yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up my my long-term plan. Uh, And brand. Brand is essential. Um, You know, so I grew up, there was a Cold War on. 
And there was this idea that maybe there was some value to communism and there were critiques of capitalism and, and there was sort of this ideological war as well as accumulation of weapons of mass destruction and stuff. Um, and since that kind of passed away, we, we know we've lost that interesting voice that's critical of capitalism. Uh, you know, all the revolutionaries, the people who you've mentioned are trying to find ways to empower people right now in this current reality, which is beautiful and wonderful. And in this current reality, I think we've all accepted that capital is necessary. Like we need money. It's our water. Um, and so brands have really taken a huge role in our lives. And the brands that succeed are the brands that give you an identity. And to me, I think we've explored a bit about why I think identity in itself is a pretty dangerous proposition but the idea that you could have a store-bought identity, like I went surfing yesterday, um, but certainly growing up in Toledo, Ohio as a child, uh, or even into my through my 30s, I never surfed at all. I don't know anything about it, but at some point when I was 12 years old, wearing surf shirts, Ocean Pacific became all the rage and you had to have one. And so I went and got some and I was like, okay, cool, I'm with this. Had no idea what it was about, but wanted to belong to that identity. We didn't have a television growing up. My parents, um, I came home when I was six or something from first grade. And I said, Mom, Dad, we got to go get a TV. We have to go get one right now. And they said, why do we need a TV? And I was like, because my favorite show's on tonight. Hmm. Right? And they're like, how do you have a favorite show? Because the guys <laughs> who I was hanging out with in the playground all had a favorite show. right? Mm -hmm. And I knew I was with them or wanted to be with them. So I wanted to belong to that group. It's a human need for belonging to group. That's how we got here. We didn't get here as individuals running around hunting woolly mammoths or something. We got here in group. So within our consciousness is deeply implanted the need to belong to a group. There's safety in numbers. But we have manipulated that as a society and taken it so far that I already knew what my favorite show was before I had a television. Um, and mm -hmm. so brand to, to me, I think, you know, it's something I grew up, there was no, I hadn't ever read an ad busters. I hadn't joined any kind of movement. There was no black block that I was aware of at all, but I realized I was wearing all these advertisements for people. So I started taking this, the seam ripper before seam rippers, just scissors and taking off the logos. And I still do. I, I don't really like wearing those logos, but more to your point, now we're in a society where not only have we accepted, okay, capital is what's happening. An effective way to, to accumulate capital is through um, brand equity, through getting a brand that's known. And we're in an individualized state too, where it's like, okay, you can be your own brand. And in fact, you should. And we're encouraged to do that. And I think it's, I think it's ter terribly, terribly dangerous if you start to believe it. Like if you can have your brand go, okay, that's my brand. I put it out there. Fine. But when you have, you're seeking validation or you think you're going to be able to express yourself fully through that brand. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty scary. And of course, back to your point about my 20 year plan. Um, <laughs> many people who, you know, five years ago when we were talking about this, now they've, they've played out their five year plan. And that's been really pushed forward to people and to younger people is the moment is now you can 
push your brand, especially in the yoga world and the yoga industry, push mm -hmm. your brand out there. And then in five years, you'll be doing teacher trainings for teacher trainings for teacher trainings, uh, you know, um, <laughs> and and you will have become you will own the copyright to the yoga of which you are the hierarchical, you know, pseudo guru of. And you'll just have capital just flowing up in your direction because you've established a yoga brand. And to me, it all seemed hypocritical and short-sighted. And I was like, well, the, the joke was, okay, I don't have a five-year plan. I have a 20-year plan. And in 20 years, yeah, I want to be the man of yoga. Not the only one, but somebody who people say, oh, with whom do you practice? Oh, I practice with Dylan. Why? Because he's been practicing for 40, 50 years. Um, and instead of trying to push it and get rich quick, just doing what you love, loving what you do, and letting the results happen as they're going to happen. And if that means walking away from teaching yoga, that's fine as well. Because I think it must have been painful for you to have invested so much in a brilliant brand, to have helped so many people with your own brand and with your own work, and then to, um, to have to walk away I wonder how that Saturn return experience was. You've said it's liberating, and I'm sure you've talked about it in other podcasts, which I haven't yet heard, but it must have been also uh, in some ways challenging, the typical Saturn return of like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to leave all this behind, and then who am I now? Well, um, no. I so, mean, I was, I don't... yes, yes and no. Like, I am our moon in Scorpio, we know very well the, like, the death and rebirth process and the deep underworld. Like, I'm very comfortable in that place and very comfortable mm -hmm. to let go of, of identity. And I know that you and I have discussed as well the, the gift of anonymity of going to a new country and having yeah. no one know who you are and just walking through as a human, as, as a person experiencing on, on our journey. And, um, so I actually, a big part of my sudden return was in leaving that professional ego name um, and still not feeling like I fit in the name that I grew up as, Andy Davis, right? People who went to elementary right. school, that's how they know me, right? And I left, I left my patriarchal surname more than 10 years ago and um, Paige being my middle name. And so what I did was, was I had this desire to take on a new name or find something else. And I had never in all of my years in yoga or in India or in the spiritual community wanted to take a spiritual name because that felt just as mm. quiche, cliche, cliche, kitsch and branded as anything else. And, um, mm. Mm. and so what mm. came through me or what came out of me was X, like my name is X. And then that, that like, okay. you know, that spirit spurred away an ocean of, of playa name to like references to Malcolm X and all of this. And it's just like, that's it. That is the thing that I want to identify with is, is almost the absence of name in a way. Um, and mm. that in and of self is still a brand. And so it's like to, to escape this in the world of words and ideas and concepts is it's, definitely paradoxical um and totally. perhaps impossible and so how do we exist in this world um without branding ourselves and i what i will tell yeah, you yeah amazing is that, um the i so i whereas i left my career in the day-to-day -day teaching and enacting of it i still kept loosely some of the online presence and that has ebbed and flowed over the past year and a half to two years um but that some of my 
uh, longtime students stepped forward and were like, you can't leave this. Um, or you can leave everything else, but you can't leave this. Or I myself was like, okay, well, I won't leave my astrology practice because that's just like a hundred percent guaranteed transformation for anyone touched by that. So that's something too good that I can't leave. And so there are little aspects that I still do, but recently, um, I've been trying to figure out what to do. And so I'm 95% done with a book that will be published, uh, later this year on fasting to kind of give that to the world and, and offer like an opus on, on all that I learned through fasting thousands of people all over the world. And, uh, you know, making an online course, which doesn't have my name in it. Right. And, um, mm. rebranding everything to the online juice cleanse is, is being rebranded. You don't know this, but I'm rebranding it into the initiation and I, my vision for it, I'm going to pitch for funding in September. My vision is to really have it be, um, a birthright experience along with like a Vipassana retreat or a, an ayahuasca journey where, you know, we, uh, with our feigned indigeneity today, we don't have any real vision quest birthright experiences. And so to offer at least some kind of platform holding as true as I can, the process of self-reflection and non-commercialness, um, to, to have that be something instituted at a large scale amongst at least the millennials and below, um, to have fasting be this process of a, a vehicle for change and then changing everything else under the umbrella of the Institute for Aliveness, um, where again, it has okay. nothing to do with me and my name is taken out and like that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. To get your, your name out of it, because I mean, certainly the, the history of your work was starting out with this very unique, very empowering, very energized perspective, which is all, coming from you but if it's successful yeah can it go larger scale and you don't have funderitis you can pull yourself out and not have to have your baby the whole time um but it is it is it's a struggle i mean i remember you know in the punk rock days and the 80s it was super cool to not sell out and i think we're going to come back to that um as we as neoliberalism is showing how corrupting big capital inherently becomes it's not avoidable it's just big money is going to corrupt and at the same time as social media um is revealed to be pretty stagnant and stuff i think we're going to see more of that um the integrity of refusing to just sell out and try to get rich quick I, so, the, like, from the punk scene, I mean, Fugazi was this amazing band, and everyone knew they don't sell out, they're so real, you know, no merch. And then, so they started selling shirts at shows. They were like, ah, oh, I don't know. So they sell these shirts that were, this is not a Fugazi T-shirt. Oh, then if you could have that, wow, you'd be super cool. And, you know, then people made them on their own, like take white shirts and just write on it. This is not a Fugazi T-shirt. Also super cool. But we can see here how identity is playing a role. And how do you get around that? The brand of not branding. Um, it's it's a it's a really tricky thing. But I think evolving is key. The fact that you're like, OK, this uh, is not who I am. It, it's a project and it certainly has a life of its own. I think it's wonderful that you're writing a book on fasting. I'm really glad that that's going to come to us. Uh, I'll certainly read it um, because, you know, we do get tired of our industries, especially once we've amassed enough knowledge and experience to be the most informed person on a certain subject in a room. Um, it gets tiring and, to continue into that brand is just to be locking, you've locked yourself in that brand. 
but to be able to set the project in motion, let it keep going, and then get onto the next great mountain to climb, I think that's that's super smart. That's the way to go. I love to hear that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm glad you haven't just ditched the fasting. <laughs> yeah. The other part of the identity of once we lock ourselves into the brand or identify ourselves as the brand is um, that we have to keep defending the brand. Yes. Whereas yeah. like something that is more either community sourced or ev ev evolution based is something that can be alive rather than something that's finite, uh, either locked to a person or, or one set of ideas. Yeah. Uh, one time period. Yeah. Industry. I mean, that is the crux of the problem with identity, right? Is that we would love to be a permanent and fixed identity to have certain beliefs and hold, know that certain things are true. And then if somebody came to you and said, oh, Donald Trump's a genius, you'd say, no, he's not. And I have these five reasons why not. But at that point, and that's what a lot of social media so-called dialogue has become, people just defending their ideas. Once you have those ideas, I mean, Buddha said, don't hold views, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Adrishti, Aditi, don't have views because once you have views, you've got to defend them. And then you mm -hmm. totally, you've lost the moment of just being open to see what happens now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, yeah. big, a problem with big capital as well is that the, those brands, whatever it is, Coca-Cola, let's say, it needs to keep growing. It has shareholders. They want more Cokes to be sold next year. The amount of Cokes that were sold in 2018, it wasn't enough. We need more to be sold. Um, so, yeah, the idea of the brand having to continually spread itself and defend all that it's done is completely outdated. Everything's, gonna, everything's changing so quickly nowadays, yeah. you know. I mean, Coca-Cola is still around, amazingly, but, uh, so, but we'll see. Maybe we'll see the end of Coke in our lifetime. <laughs> That's the next documentary, the end of Coke in our lifetime. I mean, I was I was in my early 20s, like 22 maybe or something, 23, when I, I remember walking down the street with, my, with a friend of mine, and we just figured out, we were like, oh, wait, there's too many variables to have opinions. And it was just this click moment, and that's been something that I've that's walked with. And yet, at the same time, having Venus and Aries and being very passionate and fiery, like people think that I'm constantly defending or fighting against something when when I'm just like, at the mm. end of the day, super standing there with you in Palenque under the stars and like, oh, wait, the only thing we know right. is nothing at all. And um, yeah, yeah that's so it's, it. it's surfing between the waves of the waves and the troughs of like this is right or this is truth or this is something that the world needs to experience and I don't know anything and I don't want to create anything or build anything so it's it's very much been a surf for me in that um so Coca-Cola on that model I wonder if we could use the MCM1 model of endless capitalistic growth and somehow imprint it upon the human that that kind of need, shareholder need for endless growth, mm. be endless self-growth and constant development. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I wonder. I mean, it's very, it's, it's aspirational, you know, and that is the, the, the whole generation and all the potential of the internet and everything, and also limited opportunities in the in the archaic forms of existence and, and making money, we were in this very creative aspirational moment, or maybe we're just passing out of it. Um, 
I wonder, do we need to keep growing all, all the time? I mean, at some point, I guess, you know, we don't need to keep pushing ourselves to grow. I'm sure, you know, our friends in Bali who are running self-help businesses would love for everyone to take on that kind of <laughs> corporate hunger for self-growth, you know? Have you grown enough this year? No, it's not enough. You over there. You <laughs> well, grew I mean a little. Well, so so I actually the client that I was on uh talking to, um, who's become a friend before the call with you was um she told me that in her last trip to see me in Bali, uh, that I had told her that I work at corporate Disney World or I work at Yoga Disney World and that I could no longer do that. Yeah. Um that it was just too much out of integrity. And so uh, she said that that was when she just started to see it, but that before that she, you know, was just beginning her spiritual self-reflective journey that um, it served her, you know, Yoga Disney World served her in a way. And so that's why I'm saying like the social media sitting on a mountain saying, oh, this is peaceful selfie. Um, like it serves something. It serves as the gateway drug uh, and the entry point. And then what our responsibility is is to really architect something for what's beyond for where people go next or where what they can um kind of have that leaping point towards then being fully self-reliant and self-empowered and not needing anyone or anything outside of themselves um like what is that beautiful that is brilliant yeah that is a that is a a great vision because we're gonna we've got to accept the, the the yoga disneyland and unfortunately to me at least with my bias and so-called opinions we have to accept disneyland disneyland the real disneyland and nike and coke and these corporate entities that are out there you know pretty much scavenging the earth for the human mind right Mm -hmm. it's not that they're just trying to pull ore out of the ground they are in this for your brain the product is you and they want to completely control what you think, not in sort of a thought police way, but we're all ready to buy in. So I do think that next step is amazing to be able to pull back the curtain. And yeah, I mean, I don't have, um, personally, I don't have 10 billion yoga students, but the ones I have <laughs> over the years, they've been with me. I just said goodbye to one today who's, you know, as a student in Bali, then came and practiced with me in Hong Kong for years. And now she's coming to Philippines to practice. Um, but to watch that growth of the people who are willing to do the work, pull back the curtain and go, oh, wait, I see how the strings are working and why the yoga teacher has to present themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, we're basically just empowering the whole next generation for people to keep keep that growth cycle going. For Yeah. And I mean, the endless growth in a way to say I choose no further growth is growth. So the endless growth and development yes. and the becoming is is continuous. Like it, it's it's something that's unavoidable and it doesn't actually need to be fueled, right? As long as we're mindful and aware and paying attention and, and looking at the stars in Palenque from that bigger picture perspective, we will watch it happen in our very lifetime. Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful. Any last thoughts from you, Mr. Villano? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, no, no, I'm good. We explored a lot. That was wonderful. Right. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's always really 
really interesting to speak to you and hear what's going on. I'm super, super, super inspired by the growth that you've been doing by stepping away from uh, the yoga industry and a place where you in the health world as well, where you had really established yourself as a you know, leading voice and a pioneer and someone doing TED Talks and having huge full retreats and trainings all the time. The, the, all the noticeable and ostensible marks of success in that field to look deep inside and go, you know what, that's actually, that's not exactly what I need to be doing or that's not success enough in a very real way. So maybe you're um, the huge forefront way ahead of the pack of the vanguard of the people who are going to realize branding yourself and social media success and being a, a new age healer is um, it, it actually can be a limiting experience and that uh, the real growth involves more evolution. And at some point, perhaps not needing to grow. I don't know. Those are my takeaways. <laughs> I give you big kudos and uh, yeah. Thanks so much, Dr. Page. Just or, call me X. X. Do I call you X now? Is that no, what I call, call you? Don't call me at all. Do it yourself. <laughs> okay. I had a rainbow name. I did have a rainbow name. You know, I took yeah. on a spiritual name at some point. I really did. And I would meet people at rainbow gatherings who'd be like Star Child or Moonbeam or whatever. And they'd say, and what's, what's your name, bro? And I'd say, oh, my name's late for dinner. But you can call me whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> nobody would nobody would call me yeah yeah i i don't know if i ever told you but like the 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 essence of naming things and making a joke has always been something that's very real for me too and in, in high school um i had started an indoor soccer team co-ed indoor soccer team and uh our name was off in the shower just in case we ever lost the other team <laughs> Yeah. In case you ever, oh, that is awesome. (laughs) That is awesome. No no way. This was at CGS? Is that what it is? No, no, no. You went to CGS, right? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. You didn't go to, you went to public school? Come on. Yeah. This is just part of your new brand. This is your new (laughs) X brand, public school. Public school. Ew, gross. Yes, 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 goodness me. Oh, thank you, Dylan, for everything. Yeah, thank you. I was listening to that for you. If you learned from or moved by the episode, pay it forward. Go to Apple now and leave a five-star review so others can benefit. Join the Institute for Aliveness for a one-week transformational fasting experience. Consider getting an astrology reading from Andy or enroll in the one-year health coach certification course. Whatever you do, don't let this learning pass you by. Do something now to impact your lifestyle for good. Here we are again.